realised that the very last time that I worshipped here with all of you was March the 8th last year. And on March the 8th last year, my mum and dad renewed their marriage vows, celebrating 75 years of being married. Hard to believe, isn't it, what, what changes we've seen in that time. And of course, going through all their stuff, it was very easy to throw some, some things away in the sense of sending clothes and books to tar charity shops. But there are some things that are very hard to get rid of. We've got candlesticks that go back five generations in my mother's family, but who polishes brass candlesticks nowadays. We've got furniture. Particularly, we've got a telephone table that my dad made. When we moved to Bilston, when we moved out of the pub and into a post office, we lived in the grottiest house imaginable. And my mother coveted, and that's the only word for it, the house diagonally opposite. And she longed to move into it. And she got her way. We did, in fact, move diagonally across the road into a house that had an entrance hall. An entrance hall big enough to put a dining table in, would you believe? With a parquet floor. Beautiful house. And my dad made a telephone table. One of those ones with the low, the low bit so you could sit in the days when telephones had to be plugged into the wall. But where am I going to put that? But some of the things I found I'm going to keep. And one of them was this. It was given to my mother on Sunday, November the 7th, 1937, on the occasion of her confirmation by the Bishop of Stafford in Christ Church, Tetnell Wood, the church I went to as a child. And what it is, is a, it's the communion. It's the actual words of the communion of the Anglican Church and then they are down one side, and down the other side, there are ideas about what you might think about and how you might pray through all of these. And going through it, I was reminded that um, I went to communion every Sunday after I was confirmed. I went to eight o'clock communion. And it was different from worship here because there was no music. And it was very reverent, and it was very gentle, and it was very lovely. And looking at this book, I realised just how many of the words I still know. But what st stuck out for me when I was doing this was that part of the communion service, in the Anglican communion, which is called the Comfortable Words. It says, hear what comfortable words Lord Jesus says to all who truly trust in him. And it got me wondering, I wonder why these four passages of scripture were chosen as the comfortable words. And so hopefully if Rob's got the slide, he's going to put the first of those comfortable words up. 
These are the first pieces of scripture that I actually learnt by heart and knew where they came from, if you see what I mean. And the first of those comfortable words is, Come to me, all that travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And on the seventh day, he rested. God worked six days, however you want to interpret that, to create all that is. On the sixth day, he created man. And on the seventh day, they all rested, man included. So the first thing that people were asked to do was to rest. Rest is God-given. And it's important that we rest from our labours in order to rest to do our labours. But this passage goes on, if you remember, to say, take my yoke upon me, you and learn of me. In other words, this is not just rest from work, it's rest in work. And that, perhaps, is harder to do. I remember when I first started doing, um, being superintendent of a Sunday school, uh, the person who handed it over to me said, when this gets to be a chore and hard work, you're either not doing it right or you're not doing the right thing. In other words, if your service becomes a labour and a difficulty, then either you're not leaning on God well enough to do it or this is not where you're supposed to be in the first place. And I think for Christians that's often very difficult. We find it easy to take things up. We find it incredibly difficult to put them down. We find it easy when someone says, will you do, to say, yeah, of course, yeah, I'll do that. It's much harder to say, no, that's not where I'm called to be at the moment. These are trying times. These are difficult times. These are, for many people, exhausting times. But come to me, says Jesus, all who travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here is the second of the comfortable words. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the second thing we need to know after we know that we can rest in our work with God and rest in from our work with God we are reminded that we are loved. That's amazing. God loves the world so much that he wants to save it through us. 
We had a relationship with the Creator at the beginning. In Genesis, we hear of Adam and Eve coming face to face with God. And whether you take that literally or as an intention of how God wants the relationship to be, the fact is that we mucked it up big time through our arrogance, through our selfishness, through our desire to do our own thing, we gave away that relationship and all that it could have meant. And because of that, not only was our relationship spoiled, but the world was marred. All sorts of things that shouldn't have happened did happen. Because we are not right with God, we can't be right with each other and we can't be right with the world he made. But God is not about to give up on that creation. He's not about to say, let's start again. Instead, he sent his son so that all of us who believe in him, all of us who have faith in him, all of us who put that faith into action by the way we live, should not perish, but have eternal life. And that isn't something that starts after you're dead. Eternal life starts the minute, the second, the nanosecond you say, you are God, you are my Lord and Saviour, and I will worship you. That's when eternal life starts. Because it's about a quality, not about a quantity. And it's about living now in the presence of God so that we can continue in the presence of God. And it means bringing that presence of God into all that we do. Heaven isn't out there. It's meant to be right here. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray that heaven heaven's values, heaven's beauty, heaven's truth, all that is heaven should come to the earth so that God holds sway where he's supposed to hold sway. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the third of the comfortable words. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be believed that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There are some songs that we have that I find it hard to sing now. I find it difficult to sing songs that talk about me being a sinner. Because I'm not. I do sin. I do get it wrong. I do mar the vision of Jesus in me and I do it daily and on my worst days, hourly or minute by minute. But I know when I'm getting it wrong. I know when I'm falling short of what Sue Allen should be, of what Sue the mum should be, of what Sue 
the friend should be, what Sue the sister should be. But I'm not a sinner because I am redeemed. I am chosen. I am a child of God. I am an heir to the kingdom. I don't mind calling myself a son of God. Because when that word was used in the Bible, it, re it was reflective of a particular kind of relationship that a father had with his son who was to be his heir, who was to be the one who carried on the family name. I'm happy to be called a son of God. I don't need the women's lib thing. But if you're more comfortable with my using the word heir to salvation, then I'll use heir instead. We do not have to carry the guilt of things that have happened to us in the past with us. We don't have to carry the hurt that we've suffered at other people's hands because we are the redeemed. I don't know whether any of you saw um, the lady on the television whose son had been killed and she was asked whether she would ever be able to forgive her son's killer and she said, I've already done it. Because if I don't forgive him, he's not going to suffer. I am. We are forgiven. We are free. So that we can forgive others. So that they are free. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be believed. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the last of the four comfortable words. If any man sin, I think that should read when any person sins. We have an advocate. Don't worry, Bethan. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Wow. I struggled with that word when I was a child. I think I still struggle with it now. But there you go. We have a man in heaven. He's a man with a capital M, yes. But he's a real human being and he stands at the right hand of God. And his presence, the fact that he is a human being, ever pleads on our behalf. Because when God looks at any one of you, when God looks at me, what he sees is Jesus. We have a man in heaven, ever interceding, ever pleading on our behalf. And because there is a man in heaven, we can all be in heaven. He's made the way. The route is open. We can be in the presence of the Father just like he is. He's paid. Whatever analogy you want to use, he's paid the price for our sins. He's blotted them out. He's wiped them from existence. And now he stands in heaven. So basically, those early writers of the communion service 
have written the whole of the gospel in four verses. We can come to God for rest. He cares about us enough to hold us very close when life is tough. We are loved. And God sent his son into the world to show us that love in all its magnitude and splendor. We are forgiven. We do not need to carry the burden of sin with us because every time we get it wrong, we can lift that up to God and start again. And we are assured of our place with the Father because there's a man in heaven ever interceding on our behalf, standing where he wants to welcome us to stand. And to him be all the glory. Amen. <laughs>